God in heaven today, as we think of your son's ministry in Galilee, may we be moved with a sense of his presence. May we hear you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. On the day that we went to the town of Capernaum, it was a hot day. Now, I get cranky when I'm hot, and so I had a bad attitude going into that day. But when the tour bus stopped and we got off and we walked into the city of Capernaum, I was pretty amazed. In fact, here's a picture of the city of Capernaum. Uh, It's very small. You can see the houses that were there. It's still there. You can see the layout of how the rooms were, uh, the bathrooms, the living rooms, the kitchens. It's kind of a cool thing, but it's such a small city. You think of a city as large, yet this one, I mean, you could take this sanctuary and maybe multiply it by four or five, and that's the city of Capernaum, the whole thing. It could fit in our parking lot. As we looked at this city, I was pretty amazed. Um, They still have the old remains of a synagogue there. Here's what they look like. Just the old walls there. Now, this is not the same generation as what Jesus would have worshipped in, but they do have the stones that are below these that were his time. Here's another picture of, of that same synagogue. But right here, just below this, would have been where Jesus worshipped, where he taught, and where he healed people. An amazing place where Jesus ministered. And as you walk around the city of Capernaum, you get to uh, this I-beam that has different pillars on it, and there's one in particular. Here's a picture of it. This one right here. This is called the Matthew Stone. There's an inscription on it. You might not be able to see it where you're seated, but there's some, some scribbling, some little words and letters at the top of that stone, and so we know that was Matthew's stone. You know Matthew, the tax collector. Matthew, one of the disciples of Jesus. And wherever this pillar was located in Capernaum, at the time that this story was told, is where Matthew was when Jesus called him. If you've got your Bibles with you this morning, I invite you to open them to Mark chapter 2. Mark's the second gospel. Matthew, Mark, Mark chapter 2, and you'll be able to follow along in your Bibles. If you didn't bring your Bible, there's a blue one in front of you, and you can follow along on page 708. Page 708. Matthew, or Mark chapter 2. I'm reading from the New International Version, and you can read whatever version you'd like. It's the same story. Mark chapter 2. I still hear the pages turning. When you get there, say amen. Amen. That's pretty strong. I think we're ready. Mark chapter 2. We're just going to read a few verses. Here's what it says in verse 13. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, that's Matthew, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. Now Jesus, at this time, he's starting to get some popularity. He's already called some disciples. He's got Peter and Andrew, James and John. He's got four devoted disciples that are following him, but this crowd is surrounding him too, and he's, he's getting popularity, and it's interesting how Jesus is growing with his disciples. You know how tradition has it. Jewish tradition says that rabbis were sought after. Guys aspiring to be rabbis and religious leaders, they would, they would come to rabbis and they would say, may I follow you, may I be your disciple, and, and, and learn from you, and, and copy you, and imitate you. And the rabbi would look at them and he would evaluate them. Well, what kind of potential do you have? How good do you you think you can be? Do you think you can match this level? 
But Jesus was completely different. Jesus didn't wait for disciples to come to him. He sought out disciples to follow him. It's beautiful. Jesus can see past the outward, the outward uh, facade. He looks deep into the heart. He knows what a person isn't, but what they can be, and so he asks them to follow him. Jesus, he calls his disciples as he seeks them out. He sees more than how much they fasted, or how much they prayed, or how much community service they did, or how much they cared for the poor. He saw what they could be, and he invites them to follow him. And as Jesus is walking along the Sea of Galilee with this group as he's teaching them, walking along. Maybe he's pointing out object lessons as he goes. He comes into the town of Capernaum, and he strategically walks this crowd through the city streets until he gets to the toll booth. I hate toll booths. Man, it wasn't too long ago when you didn't have the, the Peach Pass or the Sun Pass. I still have the Peach Pass. It works here in, Georgia, in Florida. You didn't have uh, all this fancy equipment where it scans your car and whatever it is. It used to be old school, and I hate toll booths. When I lived in Georgia, we'd come down here to Disney World, and the whole trip down, I'm thinking, $150 per person per day to go see Mickey Mouse, plus hotels, plus the food, plus the tolls. It's the best way to get to Disney from the north. You've got to take a toll road to get there, otherwise you're adding a couple hours to your trip. And back in the day, not too long ago, you'd stop at a toll booth and it would be exact change only. You've done these before. The most frustrating experience of your life. You get there and it's $1.75. Make it $2. $1.75, you got a dollar bill, but now you're looking for quarters. You're digging underneath the seat, finding gooey stuff down there. You're asking kids if you can rob their piggy bank. You're desperate to find a quarter. You even open the door at the booth to look down to see if somebody dropped a quarter. You've done it too, right? If you're lucky, you find when you move on. Toll booths are the worst. Several years ago, I was in San Francisco with my good buddy, Josh Woods. He's the chaplain at Georgia Cumberland Academy. And we were out there for some meetings and we wanted to get some sunrise pictures of the Golden Gate Bridge. And so we got in the rental car and we drove up around this, the, the, the bay. And we didn't know it, but there was a toll booth at the, the north end of the bay. And we, we get there, it's 4.30 in the morning. Like, it's, there's no one around. Yet there's a toll booth operator. There he is, sitting there waiting for us, drinking his coffee. We pull up there, we're in the rental car, and he tells us the price. Yeah, it's $1.75. I think it was 75 cents. 75 cents. We look at each other, we look in our wallets, none of us, we don't have any cash at all, nothing. We have credit cards, we hand him a credit card, and he said, no, no, we don't take credit cards. And so we're like, well, what do, you, what do you want us to do? Like, there's no options here. And so he said, here, take this paper, fill it out, mail it in, and you can pay your toll that way. Well, both of us roll our eyes as we cruise on through this toll booth thinking, yeah, right, like that's ever gonna happen. What are they gonna do? Track us down, we're in a rental car. What are they gonna do? Three months later, Josh had rented the car. He, he got the invoice in the mail, 75 cents plus a $75 service charge. I still owe him 50% of that. I haven't paid him yet. I hate toll booths. And just the same way that I hate toll booths, the people in Galilee hated toll booths too. Galilee is right in the middle of the land bridge between Europe and Africa. And uh, as William Barclay, he's one of my favorite commentators, he has this little blue set of Bible commentaries. They're fantastic. He says, Galilee is on the way to everywhere. 
If you want to get from one place to the other, you're going through Galilee, and Capernaum is the first town that you get to. And as people come with their exports and their imports, taxes are charged just to travel through. There's a fee for that as well. And Matthew, he sits in his toll booth collecting money. Nobody liked Matthew. He was the jerk. He was the guy that was ripping people off. Not only did he stand for a system that, that was imposing itself on the people, but he also was a thief and everybody knew it because he would line his pockets with the extra money he would rip people off with. There was no standard toll fee. You know how you drive on these toll roads now and it says, oh, one axle is this much, two axles this. There was no fees like that. You didn't know what you're going to pay until you get to the booth and Matthew says, today it is this amount for you. People hated Matthew. And I think it's amazing as Jesus walks up to Matthew and says, follow me. Matthew drops it all and he follows Jesus. Matthew had heard Jesus. He'd seen him. He knew what he was like. He knew what he stood for. In fact, we know that Matthew had already processed in his heart and his mind that if Jesus ever asked him to follow him, that he would do it. And so when Jesus asked him, be my disciple, Matthew drops it all and goes. And, I, and he challenges me this morning because I think Matthew lost more than all the other disciples. Peter and Andrew, James and John, yeah, they, they lost their career, but they're fishermen. And not, not to look down on fishermen, but there's always more fish you can catch. Matthew, his career is gone. His friends are gone. His network, it's gone. His lifestyle is forever gone as he says, Jesus, I will follow you no matter what. And as I think of Matthew's life, I'm challenged in my own life this morning. Am I at a place in my spiritual journey with Jesus that if he says, Matt, pick it up and go somewhere else, am I ready to do that? Are you ready to do that? The story continues. Uh, one, one side note, Ellen White, she says this about Matthew's experience. Here it is on the screen for you. She says in Desire of Ages, there was no hesitation, no questioning, no thought of the lucrative business to be exchanged for poverty and hardship. It was enough for him that he was to be with Jesus, that he might listen to his words and unite with him in his work. Man, that's who I want to be. I want to be the Matthew that drops everything and runs after Jesus just to be in his presence. Now, here's the deal. We don't know in your Bible, you don't know either. We don't know how long it was between verse 14 and verse 15. I don't think it was an hour. I don't think it was a day. I, I think it was like a week, maybe a month. There's a lot of time in here. In verse 15, we start a party. Matthew decides he wants to throw a party for Jesus, and it's a big party. This guy is loaded. He has a beautiful home. He's got fine china. He's got everything. He's got a caterer on speed dial. He just, he just knows how to throw a good party. And we pick up the party in verse 15 as they're celebrating Jesus. Here it is. Verse 15, while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. Imagine with me the scene. You're at Matthew's house. I don't know if he's got a pool and a nice lanai. Uh, maybe it's in a ballroom. Uh, he probably had one of those nice, like, low-to-the-ground tables, and people are resting gently on pillows down below. There's probably someone in the corner fanning people. There might be somebody with grapes feeding people one grape at a time. I mean, this is nice. This is a really ah, kind of schmoozy party, but they're having a blast. 
And if you were there and you looked around the table, who would you see? As a prostitute. Next to her is a serial killer. Next to him is a, is a habitual liar. Next to him is a guy that struggles with addiction to pornography and he's drunker. The next one over, <laughs> it's this girl that's got the most foul mouth you can ever believe. You don't even want to listen to her. Next to her is a guy that's having an affair on his wife. Next to him, there's a girl that got knocked up because she wants love and she decides to give her body away to maybe find love. Next to her is this guy, <laughs> he embezzles money from his own company. And next to him is a guy that's just selfish. And they're all there. And in the midst of all the sin and the sinners is the spotless Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is there and they flock to him. There's something about Jesus that draws people, especially sinners. They just want to be in his presence. There's something that feels good about being in the presence of a perfect person when you know you're imperfect. And the people want to be around Jesus. They just want to be with him, to be sitting next to him, to be in his presence, because something is different when they're in the presence of the Savior. Several years ago, I launched an evangelistic series, and uh, we don't do those too often, a public evangelism series. We did it a little different this time. Susie, you're going to remember this. It was called Hope Wins. And uh, we did it differently. We had a, a concert series where uh, an artist would come in and they would sing, and then I would get up and I would preach afterwards. And, and I was thinking about the first night and excited to see who would come and, and standing at the front door just kind of looking out. And this, this old 1961 Volkswagen Beetle rolls up, kind of putters into the parking lot and it parks right in the handicapped spot right in front. I'm looking out there. I love Volkswagen Beetles. Beetles. I've owned five of them. I bet you guys have owned them too. They're the coolest car ever. That was my first car. It was a chick magnet. I mean, I got my wife. See, that's how you do it. <laughs> he rolls in there. He gets out, and he's the coolest guy ever. He, uh, he's got dreadlocks, and he's wearing a Bob Marley t-shirt. Like, he's the most Rastafarian guy you'd ever see. In fact, I have a picture of him. You can go ahead and put that up there. Uh, just so you know, I have permission from this guy. His name is Junior. Uh, I, just, I was messaging him here this morning after first service, and I said, hey, man, I've already preached once, but I got, I'm preaching again, and I don't have permission to use your picture and your story. And he said, thumbs up. And then he gave me about 10 more pictures of him and his Volkswagen Beetle. <laughs> this is Junior. He's a cool guy, man. And, and he came in. I said, hey, man, welcome. I'm so glad that you're here. And he said, hey, glad to be here. And he walks in, and he sits in the very back row of the church. Never forward, just the back row. He's checking things out. And and uh, we, we, we had the, the, the concert, I preached, and then afterwards I went out in the lobby, I wanted to talk to different people, and, and there he came. I said, hey, Junior, what's going on, man? How's it going? And, and I said, hey, is this your car? And he said, yes. I said, look, let me see it, man, show it to me. So we walk out there, and he's, he, he's a little crippled, he, he's kind of with a, a walker, and he hobbles out there to his car, and, and he opens the door, and he sits down, because he's, he's, it's hard to stand, and I walk around the car, looking at, pop the hood, look at the engine, it's cool stuff, you know, and and uh, I look on the inside, and it's full of food wrappers. It kind of smells. It's trash everywhere. On the front seat of his car, it's his toiletries. And he begins to tell me a story of estranged marriages, and, and, or ex-wives and estranged daughters. 
And we're talking, and I, I don't have anywhere to sit, so I just kind of sit down on the asphalt, the pavement of the parking lot, and we're just talking. We're about eye level because he's in his car sitting, but it's a lowered car, and we're just eye level talking to each other, and he's telling me a story, and then he, then he tells me that his car is not only his transportation, but it's also his home. And he starts to weep because he doesn't feel like there's a hope or a future in his life, and I didn't know what to do. Like, what do you say in that situation? And so I just got up and I, I leaned into his car and I just held him. And I said, Junior, man, it's going to be okay. God's got a plan bigger than you could ever think or imagine. And as I have my head in his car, it smells. And he kind of smells. He smells like Axe body spray because that's what he uses. He parks his car next to a gym and he'd go in once a week and take a shower. But the rest of the days he just kind of sprays that Axe body spray on himself. He came every night that week, and, and then we kind of lost contact with each other. Years later, though, he reaches out to me on Facebook. He finds me, and we're friends on Facebook, and he, he says, Pastor Matt, that moment where we were together was one of the most powerful moments in my life because we were just there together. We were just in each other's presence. And I can understand what it's like when sinners are just in the presence of Jesus. There's something magical that happens because it's going to be okay. Because even though you're filthy and you're a sinner and you stink, you're in the presence of a Savior that makes you clean. And Jesus, he sits there at a table with those that are hurting and struggling and fighting for their lives, and they feel his presence and they bask in the presence of being with Jesus. But there's more to the story. In verse 16, it goes on. And I don't really know how this happens, but here's what happens. Verse 16, when the teachers of the law who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? They poked the bear on this one, y'all. Jesus reads their hearts, he knows their minds, he knows what they're saying, and he's not going to have anything of it. Now the Pharisees, they get a bad rap, and we, we often talk bad about them like they're so uh, pious and whatever it is, and they probably were, yet they're good people that just loved God and wanted to be like him, but they were so concerned with being and doing that they missed the part about knowing him. They focused on being perfect rather than knowing God for themselves. They focused on being righteous rather than knowing the one that makes you righteous. They thought that how they lived would save them rather than knowing the Savior that changed how they lived. And I have to pause here for a moment, and it may distract you, but I hope you can journey with me in this piece, because it's in verse 15 that I find something interesting in my Bible, and it might just be my, my Bible, the NIV Zondervan Study Bible. In first service, we had a couple people that also had this in their Bible. In verse 15, where it says, while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners, does anyone else's Bible have quotation marks around the word sinners? We, we've got a few. You might have this. Oh, the Pew Bible has it. Even better, everyone has it. This is, you get quotation marks, and you do too. I find it interesting that we have quotation marks around this word sinners. Uh, you guys use air quotes, right? I think it's funny when we use air quotes. We use them all the time. Like, yeah, I've got a reliable car. Or, or that guy over there, he's a semi-pro golfer. That's what he says. 
or I love it when it rains. We use them. It's funny that we only use air quotes. That's the only air punctuation we ever use, which is kind of silly that we do that. I mean, like, why don't we ever use air parentheses when we go off on a tangent? <laughs> or like, when you have a shopping list, like, I need to go to Publix and I need to get colon, <laughs> bread, milk, eggs, cheese. We, don't ever, we only ever use air quotes. But when we use them, we use them in a way that says that whatever's in these quotation marks is more than it seems, or it's different than it seems. And I wonder if Zondervan, uh, or this Pew Bible translator, or whatever it is, the, the printer of the Bibles that have quotation marks, wanted us to think a bigger picture than just the people that are around the table. I wonder if this, I wonder if this story is talking more about the sinners, not just those that are around the table, but everyone in this story except for Jesus. Everyone in this story is a sinner. Even the Pharisees. And yet the Pharisees, they want this facade to say, mm-mm, I'm good. I don't need it. Are we the Pharisees? I mean, do we, do we front ourselves? Do we try to give this persona of perfection? Do we, do we walk around and say, no, 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 I'm a Christian. I don't want to be like that. I just want people to see the real person and who I am. The reality is, is that we're all sinners. Every single one of us. I don't want to be like the Pharisees. We're all in a sinking boat of sin unless Jesus is in that boat. And Jesus, as he hears these Pharisees, he cuts right through the air quotes and the fake images and the perceptions and he speaks right to their hearts. Here's what it says in verse 17. On hearing this, Jesus said to the Pharisees, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but I've come to call the sinners. Man, I love how Jesus, in his compassionate way, he says, Look, I'm here for the ones that are the worst off. I'm here for the sick. I'm here for the ones that are struggling. I'm here for the ones that need help. I'm here for the ones that will accept me. And right now, in our hospitals across the world, doctors and nurses and medical professionals are jammed to the top with patients that are sick and need help. And right now, doctors and nurses are having to prioritize who's worse off. I mean, if you've ever watched any of these shows, and don't raise your hand if you have, like ER or Grey's Anatomy or uh, The Good Doctor or New Amsterdam, uh, I can't handle the shows because there's too much drama in them. It's just fast-moving, uh, things are happening, people are dying, this guy's got a severed leg over here, this lady's got whatever, she's bleeding. I mean, it's just too much drama, it stresses me out. I got enough stress with church, you know what I'm saying? And in these shows, the doctors have to prioritize who's worse off. And they figure out what's the sickest person here and, and how do we deal with it? The guy with a severed limb or the person with a hangnail? The guy that's got a headache or the guy that's unconscious? And you never would see in these shows a doctor that goes over to the snack machine and gets a bag of chips and then he walks out to the lobby and he sits down next to the family of the guy that's in the trauma room and he says, how are you guys feeling? How's everything going? How are those blisters on your feet? You feeling okay? That's ridiculous. He's there for the people that are sick and Jesus says, that's why I'm here too. I'm here for the ones that are sick. And the point of what I think Jesus is saying is that every single one of us is sick. The, Fad the Sadducees, the, the, the Pharisees, the Essenes, the Christians, the, the Muslims, the, the Buddhists, all everybody, we're all sick. Whether you're a missing leg kind of sinner 
or you're a hangnail kind of sinner. We're all sinners. In fact, uh, it's a pandemic. It's a plague. Sin is worse than the flu and AIDS and cancer and COVID combined. It's the silent killer that we're all born infected with. We're all carriers of the disease of sin. In fact, Paul puts it this way in Romans 3. He says these words in Romans 3. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And he's so right. Every one of us struggle with the sin in our life. In fact, right now, and I'm not going to have you do this because it would be really awkward, but if we all just turned around and stared somebody in the eye, you're looking into the eye of somebody else that sins. This morning, there are people in here this morning, don't look around because you're looking at yourself too. There are people in here this morning that struggle and are guilty with pride and guilty of being a liar and guilty of hating and guilty of, of seeking revenge on somebody and guilty of being jealous and guilty of lusting. No matter what sin shoe fits you best, we all are sinners. Paul says it best in a couple chapters later. Romans chapter 5, he says this, where sin increased, <laughs> grace increased all the more. And I praise God for being a God that doesn't give up on sinners that are imperfect. Praise God for being a grace giver rather than a fault finder. Praise God for being a God that just invites us to be in his presence, to sit next to us so that he can be with us, so that we can be changed by him moment by moment. You may not know this, but I've been watching what's happening in our church, and the Holy Spirit is on the move. If, no amens, man. Let me try that again. The Holy Spirit is on the move. Nice. If you have to beg for him, whatever it is. Amen. He is moving. And if you don't realize this, then just pause for a minute and listen to some of the stories of what's happening. Talk to somebody in the church and ask what's going on in their life. Because God is moving in this church in a big way. Thursday, I'm sitting with my friend in my office and we're dreaming and talking about his decision to follow Jesus. And it's, I could watch the Holy Spirit work in his heart and move him forward and nudge him forward in his walk with Jesus. Same afternoon, I return a phone call from somebody that called this church non-Avenist, non-Christian, but they called this church because they want to be a part of this church. I don't even know who they are. I, Debbie gave, him, uh, gave me his number. His name's Xavier. I called him up and said, hey, this is Pastor Matt. I'm one of the pastors at Forest Lake, and man, I hear that you want to join this church. And he said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, like, he doesn't know who I am. I don't know who he is. He says, yeah, 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 I want to join that church. And he said, listen, I've gone to church many different places, many different years, but I've always gone because my family has taken me there. I don't want to do that anymore. I want to come to that church, and I want to understand everything about it because I want to be a part of it, and I want to give my life to Jesus. Come on, people. That's the Holy Spirit moving in someone's life as they journey with Jesus to grow to know him better. Friday, yesterday morning, I sit in my office with two of our pastors, and I'm going to be vague with this story. Uh, two of our pastors... By the way, side note, we have got some unbelievable pastors in our church. They're, they're ridiculous. They work nonstop to grow disciples to know Jesus better. And as I sat in my office with two of our pastors, they shared the story of someone that they've been working with for years, working with them on their journey, growing close to them, helping them get closer and closer to the presence of Jesus. And they're at a place where they are making a decision to follow him, and it's beautiful because the Holy Spirit's moving. And, and as they sat in my office, they said, here's the, here's the struggle, Pastor Matt. This person struggles. They self-admit that they struggle with drug abuse, uh, with alcohol, and they love the party scene. What do we do about this? 
And we sat there and we prayed and we said, God, we don't know what the next step is for this person. Like, like how, how can you help someone get closer to Jesus with also um, uh, just, uh, just helping them in a way that really pulls them out of a, a, an old lifestyle and doesn't leave them in that but moves them forward? Yet we're not the Holy Spirit. We don't convict. He does it. So how do we do it? And we're stuck in this bind. And, and the two pastors, after we met, they followed up with this person. They FaceTimed them and, and this person said, guys, I don't know what's happening, but... I told God last night, this is Thursday night, I told God last night that I'm ready to listen to his voice. Man, that's a Holy Spirit thing. This person says, I just want to be in his presence so that I can listen to him as he speaks to me and changes me. This morning, I'm going to have a prayer as we close, but I want to pray Uh, for you, and I'm going to leave a spot in the prayer for you to talk straight to God. Corporately, I mean, we're, we're praying together, but you're personally praying to him. And what I'm asking you to pray for is that you ask him to, uh, that you ask to hear his voice clearly in your life. Be in his presence and ask for him to speak to you. Uh, So I'm going to pray now, and I'll leave a spot for you to pray as well, but let's pray. Heavenly Father, this morning, we're challenged by the life of Matthew but we're challenged even more that you'll take sinners and let them sit at the table with you to be in your presence. God, this morning, I'm going to pause in this prayer to allow all those that are are listening to be able to speak to you, to ask to hear your voice. So please listen now. God, we know you have big ears that can hear every voice. And we thank you for being a God that cares enough to listen to us. May we listen to you as you speak to our lives. God, we love you. In Jesus' name.